We arrive here today to debate at social distances from each other. There's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and you're very welcome to Your Politics podcast from RT News. I'm Paul Cunningham. Joining us shortly will be Mary Regan of our political staff, also from Galway. We're joined now by our political correspondent, Michal Ahan from Kerry, and our special guest is Minister of State, Patrick O'Donovan, who happens to hail from Limerick. Thanks for joining us, Patrick. Thanks, Limerick, Thanks very much. Sorry you were saying West. Limerick, almost Kerry football territory, but not be right, Patrick. No, there's no, there's no almost anything, Michal. We're ju- I'm just Limerick. Thanks very much. Okay. <laughs> Newcastle West thing, I suppose. That'd be feel now. They'd be, they'd be more ambiguous on the question. No, there wouldn't be any ambiguous at all. They're, they're, they're very much Limerick. They're very much Limerick, and there's no ambiguity when it comes to the good Kerry people. Very soul Limerick heart, doesn't it? Abbey feel. No Limerick all the way. There we go. Um, well, one thing um, is that no better person to have in the podcast studio um, to get a sense of the nation is Patrick O'Donovan because of his work. He's here, there and everywhere. I'm just wondering, He's Patrick. Like Dev. He looks in his heart. If you're travelling around too much, Patrick, could you find yourself missing out on what's going on in Limerick and come a cropper in the next general election? Well, you could say that about everybody, really. But I, I, I'm, I am travelling around a lot because my, I suppose the role takes me everywhere. Um, I was in Bantry the other day. Um, I was in Galway uh, the week before, Drogheda the week before that. Um, I suppose the nature of the job that I'm in, there's an expectation that I travel to see a lot of the country uh, to, you know, get a, an understanding of where the OPW are at, particularly with, um, you know, climate change is a fairly um, uh, intangible thing, but it's it's not a, an intangible thing when, when you're dealing with the effects of it, like flooding. And we had a, a fairly... Uh, uh, upfront and personal um, a showdown with it uh, in the last fortnight with Storm yeah. Barra. Uh, so, Jaffs of Public Works is a it touches every four crossroads in the country. So there is an expectation that in my job you get out and you meet an awful lot of communities. Uh, you engage a lot of county councillors, a lot of council officials, a lot of uh, community groups, uh, business associations, chambers okay. of commerce. So I'm on the road all the time. Tell us about Bantry. You mentioned it up first there. I mean, Bantry is one of those places that just seems to get kicked. Anytime there's a storm, there's always a flood in Bantry. And if you're standing there just across the road from the Garda station, you yeah. can see on a high tide how the water nearly comes right up to the pavement and it wouldn't take much for it to blow into the town. No, it doesn't. And it has flooded in my time uh, as minister. It has flooded now twice, um, which is which is remarkable, really. And um, So what's y- to be done? Well, it, a flood relief scheme has to be built uh, and uh, the, the people are expecting it and the, the, the money is there to do it. The issue is, um, and you know, not to put too fine a point in it, we have a planning process really that uh, isn't designed around the, the way in which the climate is changing anymore. Um, and uh, it's not delivering fast enough for the people uh, based on how quickly the climate is changing. Um, and European regulations, European directives, Irish legislation, you know, people's ability to object, uh, everybody can have a say. That's all very well and good, but the, the climate is changing so quickly um, and the storms are coming so frequently. Um, the, the, the meat and the sandwich are the poor people who are being flooded uh, time and time again. But the it's, Taoiseach, Michal Martin, announced that the entire planning system was going to be reviewed and that review will be completed by this time next year. So yeah. are you at the heart of that and are you basically going to be cutting away at the in- right of individuals yeah. to object? Well, the OPW are feeding into it um, and uh, we, we have already, I suppose, articulated our views in relation to um, certain aspects of it, particularly around the whole concept of judicial review. 
the time in which it's taking, the length of time it's taking, as well as that, the, the whole the whole area around who can take judicial review and, uh, um, you know, the process in which um, leading up to it. Um, but I, I pe- on, even on that one, are you suggesting that, say, for example, if you happen to be in Limerick and yeah. something was being built in Stillorgan, my Bellywick in South Dublin, that you wouldn't be able to object because you're nowhere near it? Well, I shouldn't have a right. I believe I shouldn't have a right to do that. No, I shouldn't. Why should I? Why you're should a citizen I, why of the state and your right is just as equal as anyone else's. Well, I don't believe that I should have a right to force water in your front door and out the back door, which is currently what's happening in some cases. Uh, and this concept of make room for the river. Make room for the river. Just listen to that. Make room for the river. What does that mean? It means let it in the front door and out the back door. Now, some 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 um, people in the environmental lobby would believe that you know um, we should just let let the rivers find their own natural courses. That would be fine, of course, if if we were living in a in a country where we didn't have a dispersed population and where people lived all over the place like I do in a one-off house out in the country. Um, but the reality is that we do, and unless we start some sort of a repopulating scheme where we where we start demolishing houses everywhere. This whole concept of make room for the river and, and you know, is climate change nonsense. But wouldn't um, the activists be right? And many times they've been the people who've been saying building on floodplains is absolutely nuts. And yet those local authorities um, and elected yeah, members voted stuff through yeah, that, that never should have been voted through. For yeah, 10 years as environment correspondent, I sat in those rooms. I sure I know. They told sure, them regional it, planning it, guidelines, Patrick O'Donnell. Does yeah, everyone know about regional planning look, guidelines? They nodded and then they voted my, the other way. If my aunt's name was John, she'd be my uncle. But like, that's for the future. What are we supposed to do with whole towns that are built by the Vikings in floodplains? Waterford, Wexford, like the names are in, the, 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 like the, 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 you know, the problem is in the name. Ford, like it's a low passing place where, the, where, a, where, a, river, where a river crossing was easy to, to, to get through. The Vikings didn't build Limerick um, in, a, in a place uh, where it was difficult to cross the river. They did it because it was an easy place to cross the river. So what are we supposed to do with these places? Abandon them? Well, Move to us, higher ground? Tell us this, because you are part of a coalition government and one of the um, coalition partners is a man called Brian Ledden, a TD who also chairs yeah. the Climate Change Committee and he said that the proposal which was going through in relation to the Galway Ring Road would be an act of vandalism for this and future generations and on board Planola under no circumstances should have planned it. As your fellow coalition member, what do you make of that? Well, I think he's entitled to his opinion, but I think it's rubbish, to be quite honest about it. Um, I, like, I mean, Ambor Planala have made their decision. The people of Galway, uh, you know, it's the fourth largest city in the country. Like, what are they supposed to be doing? Are they supposed to be strangled with cars into the future? Or, no, they're supposed or, or to get a ev- proper um, public transport yeah, but, system, but, but, which but means obviates mean? the needs for it. But what does that mean? What How about does- rail? Yeah, but like I mean, there's one railway line. Too. There's one railway line into into Galway at the moment from Limerick, and and I often you, I often drive past it. I mean, if you're driving from Limerick to Galway at the moment, and most people that that know that road, you you pass it on the motorway. You actually pass the train. You drive faster than the train in a car. So, like, I mean, there's part of the railway line between Limerick and Galway that's closed for whole chunks of the year because of flooding. And, I mean, it's a, it's a, a constant perennial issue. Um, and, and they're talking about upgrading the, the, the platforms and more and more. And they're talking about, you know, minor improvements in Atten Rye. That's not going to make a blind bit of difference to people out in Salt Hill or Knocknacarra or people coming in from Clifton or people out in, in the western suburbs of Galway. So what, right. are we supposed, what are we supposed to do with those people? Give them all a bike? Well, we look forward to the joint decision that the coalition partners are going to make. But just to change tack, um, you had an old Fine Gael meeting um, last night and um, we heard or were learned that um, the leader, Leo Varadkar, said work from ministers and their departments in the first six months of the year would be absolutely essential. Yeah. That seems to be saying if you're not, don't pull up your socks out the door. 
Well, I, I don't leak from parliamentary party meetings, so I don't comment on what parliamentary party meetings. But I've no problem in saying about my work rate and uh, my socks can't go up any further, to be quite honest about it. Um, and, you know, I think the, the, the work rate of the Office of Public Works uh, will, will, will stand testament to that, that uh, you know, when it comes to uh, the, whether it is on uh, our heritage side, uh, our state management uh, or the flood relief side, uh, you know, uh, across government, um, we're delivering uh, to, to our programme for government commitments. And, you know, I'm even more ambitious than the programme for government commitments across all aspects of the the, the uh, Office of Public Works, particularly in the heritage side, because I believe right. particularly, you know, when it comes to the decade of centenaries, the OPW have a big uh, footprint that we want to lay down a marker for there. Indeed. And it's an area of particular interest to me. And I know that across government, um, you know, I have a I have ambition there that I want to see delivered. So Key word sure. there, ambition. Did you hear that, Me, I heard the word, yeah. Oh, you, yeah. You'd have ambitions for cabinet. Senior. Get your footprint. Oh, my, my, my department have loads of ambition, Michal, to, to support what your government. Own what about your own ambition? Well, anybody that comes into the Dáil that doesn't want to serve in government shouldn't be in the Dáil in the first place. I've always maintained that. I can't understand people who come in here to roar and shout and just want to be in opposition. Like, what is the point of being elected to the Dáil and not want to serve your, your constituents by effecting change in government? A lot of names being mentioned about who, do you, I suppose there will be some type of reshuffle. I mean, Athanas has, has hinted at that now, hasn't he? Who who might go from cabinet and who might well, come up? A lot of people talking about Peter the, Burke from your well, ranks. It is the longest running of a hint I've ever heard. I mean, it, when, in, in, in the Kenny's time, they had a, you know, there was a, a hint maybe given a couple of weeks out, but I've never heard of a 52 week hint. So I suppose it's just probably tried to keep us in Tinder hooks, but um I'm not really one to speculate other than, uh, you know, we have a lot of work to do in the OPW, particularly around the decade of centenaries and things like that. And that's my focus. So you're not cracking under the pressure? Not at all. Pressure's for tyres. Are you happy, Patrick, that, that Cabinet is, is more solid now when it comes to containing information these days than maybe might have been the case in the past? I couldn't comment on the containment of information from the Cabinet. I mean, sure, just people like yourselves are, 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 are profiteering on the likes of that. Mm. Profiteering? That's you. Hmm? I'm talking to Mihal here. I'm just making that accusation, doubling down on it. The minister sure, just without, said you're profiteering without, without, on sure, it, Mihal. Without the suggestion of, 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 of leaks from cabinet, sure, the poor journalists would have nothing to do. Mm. And investigations into leaks internally as well, of course. Then. Since the foundation of the state and even under the time of British rule, there's always been suggestions that senior civil servants should investigate what ministers are doing with regard to information being held mm. uh, at cabinet. And those investigations have always amounted to nothing. Nothing. Even when they're carried out internally, as was the allegation uh, within, within the party by, by elected members. I couldn't possibly comment on that. Sure, that's all speculation, Michal. Of course. Just taking a quick um, gear change here, Patrick O'Donovan. We are on the cusp of a, a NEFIS meeting. Um, there is likely to be a cabinet meeting, but not confirmed after mm. that. Um, the mood seems to be darkening as we get closer to that decision point with people thinking there's going to be yeah. um, more restrictions. What's your sense of it? Uh, look, I tell you, I, the people are just uh, withered uh, from this thing. And, you know, especially this time of year, I mean, the timing could just not be worse. Uh, people are, even in a personal from my per own personal point of view, we're just all worn out from this thing. Um, and like, you know, people being asked to give a bit more and give a bit more. Like, what more can people give really at this stage? Um, so um, I, I, I'm the same as yourself. We just have to wait and see. But really, I think the booster campaign is where it is at to try and get as many people boosted as possible, get the third dose into them as possible um, and uh, and get them secured, as get, get as much security into them as we can. But like, I think people's morale 
we has to be something that we have to bear uh, bear in mind as well. Like people's mental health at this time of the year is something that we have to have focus on. And this is a time of the year where people have to be happy. You know, we have to give them something around um, a social outlet. Uh, and that's crucially important. They have to be allowed to celebrate at this time of the year, whatever that context is. Uh, because like, you know, Christmas yeah. is a time of the year that has to be, uh, you know, people have to be allowed to gather. They have to be allowed to, to be with family. They have to be allowed to be with friends. And it can't be all about doom and gloom. Think, and there is a lot of that around at the moment. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's one of the things we have learned over the past two years is the importance of mental well-being, particularly when we're in a pandemic, which shows, yeah. shows no sign of, of discontinuing. No, and I mean, particularly, I, I think uh, I, I'm a very good friend of mine um, who canvasses with me and who has been a huge support to me, uh, lost his wife in the last three weeks. She was doubly vaccinated and she she died as a result of contracting COVID at a wedding. Uh, and I have raised this, um, you know, with the Tarnished, uh, with the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party openly in a public forum. You know, there's a contradiction in relation to two people arrive at a hotel, at, uh, uh, you know, at the same time. One going for a cup of coffee has to produce a COVID cert. One going to a wedding for eight hours, no need for a COVID cert. Um, and he has asked me time again to, you know, every time I get the opportunity to raise that anomaly, uh, he's lost his wife, she's not coming back. Um, you know, they did everything they could do during the pandemic to stay safe. And and as he said, they took one chance and that one chance resulted in, in her contracting the disease. A week after contracting, she was in yeah. hospital. A week later, she was in HDU. And a week after that, she passed away. So this is a terrible disease, like, and it doesn't care who it takes. Patrick O'Donovan, thanks very much for joining the podcast thanks, and Sides. sharing that story with us. Um, Mio Lahan, um, we are on that cusp, as saying, of Neffet meeting and decisions being taking, taken. And my sense of it at the moment is that the sort of the clouds are darkening. Yeah, I think if the week began with a view that their current restrictions could be slightly tweaked, tweaked was the word that was used a, a lot. It does seem now that it's going to be a lot more extensive than that. That's certainly the feeling. Uh, just how extensive, I suppose, is the question. Things like big events, I think that's been really flagged since Tuesday, uh, looks set to, to get the chop really big rugby matches, race meetings over Christmas, things like that. Could it go further? Could it extend to things like weddings? Uh, and just how tight then would the would the numbers around household gatherings be? How, th- that would be guidance that probably couldn't be enforced. Obviously, wouldn't be enforced in, a, in any uh, great legal sense. But how tight would the guidance be there? I suppose it's interesting. On the one hand, we heard from Michal Martin when he was speaking in Brussels about that people were using their common sense and that the government didn't want to be too directive because if you looked at the hospitalisation numbers, they were going down. People were getting it when it came to Delta. And yet we've now got this new variant, far more transmissible. And I'm just wondering whether or not the government's view is going to change to a certain extent that instead of giving the decisions to people, allowing them to make up their own minds, that it is going to become more directive because Omicron just presents such a risk. Yeah, you do feel that that sense that it would be left to people and that that it has worked, that that would be eroded very quickly while you do have some improvement in the hospital situation, that if there wasn't a kind of a major intervention in the next 48 hours or more, that those hospital spaces would fill up even quicker, that there is inevitability about the way this thing is going. So uh, it may be the case that government feel they have to act uh, quite quickly and act in a way that goes beyond what they might have anticipated just a few days ago. I think Pascal Dunn, who's speaking on the news of one earlier, spoke about that, talking about government having to go further uh, with restrictions across across Christmas potentially, but awaiting the Neffet advice. Um, we're joined by Mary Regan of our political staff. Mary, is that your sense too, that maybe at the beginning week um, it was a little bit more optimistic, uh, the pulse that was coming out politically from government, but now as we get closer to decision time, um, the storm clouds are gathering? 
Yeah, and the Taoiseach said uh, just last Friday, you know, that a week is a long time in COVID. But I think that's very much been proven to be the case this week because not only has a week been a long time in COVID, but the space between Monday night's briefing from Neffet and uh, today has changed quite a lot. You know, I think while Neffet weren't really giving a huge amount away during that meeting with the party leaders, I think the feeling was that there would be restrictions possibly around large, you know, sporting events, possibly race meetings, that sort of thing over Christmas. Maybe uh, something around hospitality, something minor. But I think as as things change just in the few days since then, there's a sense now that what might be on the way will go further than that. So things really have been changing by the day, really, um, throughout this week. And we'll have to wait to see what is decided when when that advice comes through and when, when ministers, uh, you know, sit down to to, to sign off on it. Minister um, Patrick O'Donovan there was talking about um, the need for people to mark um, Christmas and the New Year. He spoke about that whole idea of that people are on their uh, sort of, you know, they're on the floor just about how um, this is dragging on for so long and people's mental well-being is being called into question by the very prospect that these restrictions are coming back and that it's going to go on for a long time. To what extent politically can any leader like Micheál Martin be able to sort of lift the mood of the nation, to be able to act as that fulcrum, which will, because he said it yesterday in Brussels, you know, we will get through this, but people certainly aren't feeling that way now. Yes. So, so, I mean, this is really a a tricky one. Uh, I don't think the government, certainly when Micheál Martin came down the steps of, of government buildings two Fridays ago, I don't think the expectation was that there would be further restrictions this side of Christmas. The hope then was that that would be enough, um, you know, to see see the country through t- to Christmas. And what's particularly difficult this time, if they are announcing any particular measures, is that they are coming so close to the Christmas holidays. And in some ways that sort of limits, you know, the you know, what what can be done, you know, especially when it comes to issues around travel and people coming home from Christmas uh, for Christmas. But, you know, it also makes the timing of any measures that will be introduced a little bit more, more urgent this time around. And in many respects, the Tijuca, you know, has been really talking up the booster vaccine campaign, you know, things really speeding up there uh, since yesterday even and you know they are at this point putting a a lot of their eggs so to speak in the booster basket hoping that enough people can get those uh, boosters before Christmas to sort of slow down because they they're saying okay the spread of Omicron is now so inevitable but you know it's it's a matter of of sort of slowing it down between now and between Christmas when there will be you know, even more, even more gatherings and family gatherings and intergenerational gatherings around the Christmas holidays. And Mary, you've also been working on European Parliament report and sort of across some of the issues that have been coming up at the European Council, the EU Leaders Summit in Brussels. And what is their focus? Travel seems to be one of the issues. Yeah, and just in the European Parliament this week, there was a really downbeat mood. You know, Ursula von der Leyen, the Commission President, saying that she personally is sad that this is going to be yet another Christmas overshadowed by the pandemic. Meanwhile, the European leaders are gathering for that summit in Brussels. And just as they gather, there's been various measures being introduced right across Europe, particularly in the in relation to travel, just yesterday we saw that Italy um, announced 
you know, that people arriving into the country would require negative tests, even if they are doubly vaccinated. Portugal and Ireland have similar sort of restrictions in place. France is restricting visitors coming in from the UK. Almost all visitors, there are some exceptions, but it would effectively mean that you would more or less have to be a French citizen to uh, travel in from the UK. And that all points in many respects to, you know, what could be just cracks now appearing in the what had been a very coordinated European approach to travel. So at the start and the earlier days of the pandemic, each country sort of, you know, did a solo run on what they were imposing. Then it was felt that there needed to be uh, a coordinated approach because this ultimately goes to the heart of what Europe is supposed to be about and free movement of people in between uh, the different countries. Um, but that now appears to be sort of, um, you know, falling slightly uh, by the wayside. So they will be focusing those leaders on, you know, perhaps a more coordinated effort. You know, there has been some criticism uh, of the countries that have done their own, you know, gone their own way in relation to measures. And they'll also just be looking at this issue of the COVID cert for travel and whether they should put, you know, a deadline or a timeline on that. You know, nine months is being spoken about that perhaps maybe they could, uh, you know, implement an agreed approach that would mean that after uh, nine months, you would, uh, you know, you, you would require a, a booster yeah. shot to, to be included with, in that COVID travel pass. OK, we're just joined by our um, political coverage editor, Dave, David Murphy. You know, when we were looking at this from a finance point of view, uh, you were telling us a couple of weeks ago that effectively it had thrown 50 billion onto the national debt. We're now looking at a pandemic which it looks once again that it's got years to run. And in the short term, we're saying... Um, more restrictive measures, which means uh, more payments to businesses, which means more people on the PUP. How on earth are we actually going to be able to pay for this? And what's the risk if this does continue over the couple of years? Are we going to be OK on the basis that everyone else is experiencing the same thing? Or at some point, is it going to hurt us on the basis that the level of our debt per capita is just too high? Well, in fact, it's interesting what's happened is that we've been cut a little bit of slack and uh, Pascal Donoghue this week said that the amount of money the Irish state will have borrowed this year is going to be in the region of €9 billion Euro, and that it's going to be less than people would have thought. And there's a little bit of an economic miracle going on in Ireland at the moment because the employment numbers um, are strengthening continually. Uh, people are getting back to work generally. Um, despite everything that's going on, despite the focus on hospitality, certainly the multinationals are feeding an awful lot of money into the economy. And the economic picture isn't so bad. And the prospect for the Irish economy is looking better as time goes on. I think, though, you mentioned one thing there, which Leo Varadkar said yesterday when he was on News Talk Radio, when he said, this could go on for years. That's the first time I've heard one of the cabinet ministers say that. And maybe it's not that surprising, but that I think will make them rethink this a little bit in terms of how much money is it going to cost um, to continue with these type of restrictions, to continue with these type of supports. Uh, in terms of the overall situation, people are paying a lot of attention today with what Christine Lagarde, the head of the European Central Bank says, and what's going on in the US, 
with um, their economic supports. So we're in a situation where we still have zero interest rates effectively, and we still have uh, quantitative easing helping along uh, economies that can't go on forever. But for the for the Irish, the situation is a little bit better than we would have thought a few months ago. And what about that principle, Michal Lahan? And when it comes to you know, we, if you're introducing a measure which is going to put someone out of work or knock a, a business um, out of making a profit, um, then they have to be compensated by the state. If this thing is going to go on years and the government feels some hard choices are going to be made, how are they going to be able to break that principle? Because it sounds very equitable. It sounds very fair. Well, I thought it was interesting today on a day when there is so much uncertainty in the air and and a feeling that restrictions could be tightened that Pascal Donoghue, when he did speak in the Dáil this morning, did say that he believes at some point next year and that the pandemic will be uh, at a certain level that those supports uh, will have to be wound down. That was the the indication. Uh, So I think government will and the intention there is to move in that direction, just maybe not as swiftly as it had had signalled earlier. I do think as well, one interesting story which came up in the Irish Times this week was the story about O'Flaherty Holdings, the company um, behind the Mercedes-Benz dealership in Ireland, whereby effectively that firm paid its shareholders a dividend, which was an equivalent amount of money to what they got in COVID supports from the government. I think the government probably needs to rethink some of these supports and have a a little bit of a tighten up in terms of the way the money is distributed. For example, uh, that particular support is given to businesses whose turnover falls below 30%. That sounds fair enough. You wouldn't think that a firm which sees its sales fall by that much would go ahead and pay a dividend. But perhaps there should be some sort of rider stitched into the legislation to say uh, companies that pay dividends aren't going to be able to avail of these kind of supports. Our companies which do things like share buybacks or accrue an awful lot of profit shouldn't be able to avail of these supports. And we've seen through in some of the evidence before the Public Accounts Committee, significant concerns expressed by the revenue commissioners, particularly around the area of people claiming a pandemic unemployment payment who aren't entitled to it. So if the taxpayer is being hard pressed to pay their taxes, they'd want to be completely reassured that it's going to the right places. Okay, just one last question um, to you, Mary Regan. Um, Mike Ryan has um, said in the past that um, pandemics like this uh, tend to just fizzle out. Um, In political terms, do you see any... um, you know, horizon whereby politicians think that um, things that the pandemic isn't over, but that at least that it's manageable, that it's going to be in some space where they're able to get on with it, whether it's because there's a, a new um, drug coming on stream or or something. I know it's an impossible well, question. April, Mary. April 17th, yeah. <laughs> I think they wouldn't dare to dream that. I mean, there's been times when they might have felt that in the past and there's always that hope that they can cling on to, but it's just impossible to say for certain, um, you know, despite all the negativity this week, you know, there is some hope being expressed around the booster uh, shots being, you know, according to some of the scientific evidence, more effective than what they had even previously thought. Also, this uh, new drug coming on stream, that, of course, would give rise to some hope. But politically speaking, you know, it's, it's, it's too early to say when they might, you know, not be in current crisis mode of dealing with the pandemic and also what the po- potential political fallout you know of all of this might be if there if there is to be any any at all you know and um you know i think the french election coming up in april a lot of people will be looking at that to see 
if the pandemic in of, of itself uh, and how that's handled plays into politics and plays into the mood of, of, of electorates more generally. Mary Regan of our political staff, thanks very much for joining us. Also, thanks to Mio Lahan, political correspondent, and David Murphy. Also, thanks to Minister of State Patrick O'Donovan for joining us. Um, the Doyle is due to rise this week, so that it means this should be our final podcast of the year. But then again, nothing certain with COVID. Who knows, we may have another podcast next week. So we'll just say, until the next time, take care. <laughs>